26. Um, so, and we have a sermon outline uh, included in the bulletin there today. Uh, we're going to be thinking about the topic of um, wrestling in prayer. Um, on the night before he died, Jesus gave a challenge to his disciples. Um, and so the challenge had to do with the uh, thing of being spiritually alert and praying. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 36. Jesus then went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found again, he found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And also I want to invite us to look at Colossians chapter 4. Um, Colossians last chapter and I'd like to read verse 12 of Colossians 4 Epaphras who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends his greetings he is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So yeah, this morning we want to consider uh, the topic of wrestling in prayer. Um, some of us have perhaps watched professional, professional wrestling on the television. Um, High school and college level wrestling is the real thing. None of the hoopla 
um, none of the hype that you find, and sometimes there's been rigged outcomes in professional wrestling. Uh, so as we reflect on wrestling from a spiritual perspective, what does it mean to wrestle in prayer? Paul says to the Colossians, Epaphras, one of you, he was a pastor, this Epaphras guy, uh, Epaphras, he tells the Colossian believers, is always wrestling in prayer for you. And it's good to ask ourselves, how did Paul know that Epaphras was a prayer wrestler? Well, the probable answer is that Paul had spent some time praying with him. He heard Epaphras praying with great passion for the Colossian Christians, and he thought to himself, wow, this guy is a real prayer warrior. This guy knows, this pastor knows how to wrestle in prayer. And Colossians 4, 4 informs us of the focus of his prayer wrestling. Epaphras was praying that the Colossian believers would stand firm in the will of God, that they would be spiritually mature, and that they would be fully assured in the faith. You can imagine Epaphras and Paul praying together. Epaphras says, God, don't let the Colossian believers get sucked in by hollow and deceptive philosophies. Help them to hold on tightly to the truth. May they be rooted and built up in Christ. May they be strengthened in the faith and overflowing with thanksgiving. Set them free from anger, rage, slander, and filthy language. May they be clothed with compassion, kindness, honesty, gentleness, and faithfulness. May the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. May their speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that they know how to answer anyone. On and on he goes, wrestling in prayer for the Colossian believers. Now, Epaphras makes us think about an Old Testament wrestler, Jacob. Jacob had sent his wife and children on ahead, and then he crosses back over the Jabbok River, and he prepares to meet Esau. Then all of a sudden, this man shows up and starts wrestling with Jacob. Physical wrestling. And at the same time, spiritual wrestling. And we're not talking about 15 or 20 minutes of wrestling, which in itself would be very tiring. I had four sons myself, and uh, during their growing up years, we did lots of wrestling, uh, fun wrestling. Um, but once the sons reached uh, 15 years of age, then I backed off. Daddy's really not interested in wrestling here tonight. Uh, but I can vouch for the fact that 15, 20 minutes of wrestling can get you very tired out. Jacob and this man wrestle all night long. And at daybreak, it's like this guy taps Jacob on the shoulder and says, uh, excuse me, there's light in the eastern sky. You can let go of me now. And you can imagine Jacob uh, has this man in a headlock and his legs are around him in a scissors hold around his waist. And Jacob says, nope, I'm not letting go of you until you give me a blessing. And the man says, 
Jacob, your name is no longer going to be Jacob, but it's going to be Israel because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. Now, that's an amazing statement. Uh, you have struggled with, wrestled with God in prayer. Not only wrestled with God, but with man, this angel, or whoever he was, and you have won. And the man blesses Jacob. The name Israel means struggling with God or wrestling with God. And the reason that Jacob got that name is that he pulled an all-nighter wrestling with God. I can remember a sermon from 50 years ago. It was given in my home church, um, Second Christian Reformed Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It was given by... Um, Dr. Gordon Spikeman, at the time a professor of religion at Calvin College, has since passed away. He was preaching from Genesis 32 about Jacob's all-night wrestling match, and I remember the question that Dr. Spikeman asked us all in the congregation. He asked us, when is the last time you spent an hour wrestling in prayer? I can't remember any of the other sermons that I heard during my high school years, but that one really stuck with me. Wrestling in prayer. I was in ninth or 10th grade at the time. Um, that is the first time I've heard anything about wrestling in prayer. Because in our home, prayer was marked by brevity before and after all the meals and before we went to bed at night. Um, but what was this wrestling in prayer all about? Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled in prayer. What was he wrestling about? Father God, I realize that this crucifixion before me is going to mean super intense pain. In addition to the physical pain of crucifixion, there's the much greater pain of your wrath against the sins of all your people down through all the generations. I know that that is going to be a million times worse than the physical pain. I want to avoid it. Please, God, remove this cup from me, the, the cup of your wrath. Is there any other way to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Yet, Father God, not my will, but yours be done. Praying in that vein for an hour or so. The human physical pain of crucifixion was very intense, absolutely excruciating. But the pain of enduring the wrath of God against all the sins of all his people down through all the centuries is much, much greater. And so Jesus essentially says this, God, you have the big picture. You are putting into place the key plan of your redemption. But for me, it's going to mean searing pain. And at the same time, the work that you're doing is great. So make sure your agenda moves forward. Your will goes ahead. But for me, it's going to be extremely difficult. So, you know, back and forth, back and forth he goes for an hour, and then later for another hour, wrestling 
in prayer. His will versus God's will. Yet, at the same time, never sinning through it all. After Jesus prays for a while, he goes back to his three disciples, finds them sleeping, says to them, Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. And Jesus not only gives them the challenge to pray, he also conveys the rationale so that you will not fall into temptation. And what about us today? Are we interested in shoring ourselves up, strengthening ourselves spiritually so that we do not give in to temptation? Are we interested in a strategy that will keep us from succumbing to Satan's appeals? Do we want to be set free from the vice grip of materialism? The key is spending time in prayer. Now, over the last 20 years, we've seen a fitness movement. People going to the gym, pumping iron, uh, developing abs, gallons of perspiration, and a phenomenal amount of energy being channeled into developing some pretty impressive-looking biceps. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, Many of us need the exercise. But what what about putting in a considerable amount of time and energy into a vigorous prayer life? Because as Jesus says, one of the benefits of watching and praying is that It will keep us from falling into temptation, whatever temptation it is that sucks us in. Prayer is a deterrent to entering into temptation. On the one hand, temptation is inevitable. Jesus himself was tempted in all ways. Temptation is bound to come. Not only do we want to not succumb to the temptation when it comes, we want to avoid temptation as much as possible. We don't want to put ourselves into situations in which we know we will be tempted. Passionate prayer helps us to stay fit spiritually. It helps you to be on guard against the evil one. If your prayer life dwindles to nothing, you're exposed. You have no defense against the onslaughts of the enemy of your soul. Henry Blackaby wrote the book, Spiritual Leadership. It's a book that I have greatly appreciated. I read it about 20 years ago. He says that what's key for any leader, whether government official or business person or church leader, every leader, he says, needs to have a personal walk with God. Every leader needs to spend a significant amount of time each day praying and seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit. To be a spirit-led Christian means more than just spending two minutes a day in prayer. Every year in Ambunti, in the interior of PNG, we hold a one-week pastor's course. I remember three years ago, uh, it was quite memorable, we had a group of about 28 pastors, many of them new, younger pastors who had no Bible school training. 
These pastors from all different denominations, they just love getting together. They love singing. They love praying at all hours of the day and night. Now, our bedroom in Ambunti doesn't have any glass windows. The windows are just chicken wire and then covered over by fly wire. And the dormitory where all the pastors were sleeping is not far from our bedroom window. Well, it's not becoming for a missionary to admit it, but I was not enthused that these pastors were getting up at 4 a.m. and singing and praying with real gusto. And the ringleader of these sleep deprivers was a Bible school principal by the name of Pastor Nasi. He was a first-time attendee at the pastor's course. Uh, he started a Bible school in the interior uh, that isn't supported by anyone outside of PNG. It's uh, just a Bible school that he has started, and it's struggling. Um, at the time, it had 14 students. What made life more difficult for Nasi, however, is that some of the churches in the area uh, previously were who were previously supporting the Bible school were now withholding their funds. Why? Because Pastor Nasi had spoken out against a new cult that had been sucking in a few of those churches. And this cult or sect teaches that there have been three invasions of planet Earth. First invasion was that when Jesus was born at Bethlehem. Second invasion was when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. So far, so good. The third invasion, which has just begun in the last 15 years, is the glory of God slowly arising over all the nation beginning at the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth were defined as Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands. The man, the only man who received this revelation from God about these three invasions is Michael Maliu, the founder of this group. And the really serious aspect is that this cult claims that Mr. Maliu um, asserts that there is a fourth person of the Trinity, which means you no longer have a Trinity. So Epaphras prayed passionately that the Colossians would not be de deceived by false teaching. And Pastor Nasi in Papua New Guinea spends time wrestling in prayer that churches in his, in his area would not be affected, impacted by this new cult. Also, it grieves Pastor Nasi that sons of some PNG pastors are no longer walking with the Lord. Many of these pastor's sons are chewing betel nut and drinking beer. One of the primary reasons Nasi started Sikamo Bible School was to reach out to these pastor's sons and see them transformed. Jesus doesn't just say pray. He says watch and pray. Watch, which means being spiritually alert. Evaluate what's going on through the eyes of faith. And that applies for each one of us in 
our own families, with our children, with our grandchildren, uh, evaluate how the Lord is at work in our own community here, in our nation, and around the world. Be alert as to what's taking place, how the Lord is at work in our own denomination, and pray accordingly. When Jesus told those three disciples to watch and pray, what would it have looked like if those three had listened and followed through instead of going to sleep? Maybe it would have looked like this. Peter says, okay, James and John, yeah, we see Jesus over there. He's off a distance away, uh, and he told us to watch and pray. And uh, what are some of the things that we should be praying about? And imagine James saying, well, two or three hours ago, Jesus washed our feet and challenged us to wash one another's feet. Let's pray about that and what it means. And then also Jesus celebrated the Passover with us. But when he did so, he said some new things in this Passover uh, that I don't really understand very well, like this bread is my body and this wine is my blood. Blood that would be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus told us that we need to be regularly doing that until he comes again. Let's pray about that. Okay, good idea. So they pray about those things for 15, 20 minutes. Then John says, earlier tonight, Jesus also taught us a lot about the Holy Spirit. I know very little about the Holy Spirit, who he is, when he's going to come, what he's going to do. But I do remember a few things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit just a few hours ago. He said that the Holy Spirit cannot come unless he, Jesus, leaves us. And I'm having a hard time processing that. He also said that the Holy Spirit will be our comforter and that he will guide us in all the truth. He also says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So let's pray that the Holy Spirit would come. Because yes, Jesus seems to think that this Holy Spirit is a very important person. So they pray together for another 15 or 20 minutes. Imagine that happening. And then Peter says, you know, this whole, whole thing with Judas really got my attention. Remember a few hours ago when we were eating communion, Jesus said to all of us, okay, one of you is going to betray me. And we were all very sad, disappointed, and we said, surely it's not me, Lord. It's not me, Lord. And then Judas said, surely it's not me. And Jesus indicated, yes, Judas, it's you. And Judas left. And I don't understand what's going on there, but I think it would be well for us to be praying about that. And I remember another thing that Jesus said just a few hours ago. All of us will fall away on account of him, Jesus. And I said, Jesus, even if everyone falls away, you can count on me. I will never fall away. Jesus said to me, Peter, before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And I said, Jesus, there's no way that's ever going to happen. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And so Peter says to James and John, I still believe I'm not going to abandon Jesus, but he said I would, so let's pray about that. And let's pray about this Judas thing also. I, under, I don't understand all that's going on there. And so they pray for another 15 or 20 minutes. And then just as they finish, then Jesus shows up. He returns and he says, thank you. The three of you have been wrestling in prayer with me for the last hour. These prayers that you offered are going to help you get through the temptation that is coming your way. These prayers will serve as a safeguard for you against entering into temptation. But, as we all know, it didn't turn out that way. Instead of praying for Jesus, instead of praying for one another, they slept. And in that context, Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. At times we say to ourselves, yeah, I need to pray, but we don't do it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, self-control. Developing a vigorous prayer life isn't going to happen without discipline and self-control. Today, Jesus is saying the same thing that he said 2,000 years ago. Watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. Could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? What are some of the occasions for spending an hour in prayer? Let's look again at our scripture in Matthew 26. Jesus says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed, overwhelmed to the point of death. He was feeling a lot of turmoil over what was immediately before him. And so he spends time intensely engaging with God in prayer. Hebrews 5, verse 7, during the days of his life on earth, Jesus offered prayer with loud cries and tears. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Why did Epaphras spend time in prayer? He wanted to see God's people in Colossae become mature in the faith. He didn't want them getting sucked in by deceptive philosophies. He wanted to see them rooted and built up in Christ. Why did Jacob wrestle in prayer all night long? He wanted a blessing. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. Maybe the blessing that he was looking for was protection from danger. He was afraid his brother Esau was going to kill him. What are some of the occasions for us today to be wrestling in prayer? When your teenage son gets involved in drinking or your teenage daughter is involved in a relationship with the wrong guy, that calls for an extended time of wrestling in prayer. Or when an adult child is going through a difficult time in his or her marriage relationship. The marriage is on the rocks. It's wrestling time then. Or when you get laid off at work, whether it's a legitimate layoff or a very unfair layoff. It's a gut-wrenching experience and calls for more time in prayer. Or when you get diagnosed with cancer and you're staring death in the face. 
During Jesus' three and a half years with his disciples, he modeled what a vigorous prayer life was all about. In Mark 1, we read, early in the morning before dawn, he went to a lonely place, and there he prayed. Sometimes, we read in the Gospels, Jesus would, ex- would spend extended time alone with God. We read in Luke that he went out into the hills to pray, and all night long he continued in prayer to God. And now that he is in heaven, the most important thing that Jesus is doing is that he's praying for us. Hebrews 7.25, therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? Intercede for them. Jesus is interceding for you. He is interceding for me. I remember a ministry situation 40 years ago, just uh, after I was out of seminary, or I was still in seminary, in fact. Um, I was just beginning. I was interacting with an older couple after a uh, summer preaching assignment. They were maybe 75 years old. The husband just had a stroke. His heart was failing. He was in the hospital. His wife was alone in their home. She conveyed to me that she was feeling insecure in her relationship to God. I explored why. As it turned out, in the 50 years that they had been married, whenever they prayed together in the mealtimes, before they went to get bed, it was always the husband that was doing the praying. After 50 years of marriage, she had never heard herself praying. And so I said, Well, now's a great time to begin. Starting today, pray out loud here in your own home. It will help make your relationship with the Lord Jesus become more real, more alive. I think of Anna in Luke chapter 2. After just seven years of marriage, her husband died. And then she lived as a widow until she was 84. 55, maybe 60 years of widowhood. And, says Luke, she never left the temple, but she worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. She knew what it was to watch and pray. She had a vibrant relationship with the Lord God. She knew something about wrestling in prayer. For 50-plus years, she continued faithfully in prayer. What was the focus of her prayers? What was it that she was watching for and praying for? The Messiah. When Joseph and Mary brought their infant son, Jesus, into the temple, this elderly woman, Anna, approached them, gave thanks to God, and spoke about the child for all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. A book that... Penny and I finished reading is entitled Seven Men by Eric Metaxas. He writes about seven men from the United States and Europe, maybe some of you have read the book, uh, whom God has used significantly. Men like George Washington, William Wilberforce, Eric Liddell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The story about Jackie Robinson was especially striking. In 1947, 
Jackie Robinson, became the first African-American to play professional baseball. And in spite of all the racial epitaphs and hatred that he endured, he won Rookie of the Year in 1947 when the Brooklyn Dodgers traveled to places like Philadelphia and Cincinnati, it was bad. Lots of racist vitriol. But, says Eric Metaxas in the book, every night, Jackie Robinson got down on his knees to pray for strength to go on. He said that Robinson's Christian faith was at the very center of his decision to accept Branch Rickey's invitation to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers in the New York area. And it was the faith of Branch Rickey that led Rickey to find an African-American baseball player to break the color barrier. Branch Rickey had a strong Christian faith. He was opposed to playing on Sundays and refused to do so. Jackie Robinson also knew the power of prayer. So don't settle for a superficial devotional life. Take the time. Make the time for prayer. And I want to add, enjoy your time with the Lord Jesus. Enjoy extended walks in which you spend time alone with the Lord. It will provide you with a new joy that you will cherish. And so the question that Dr. Gordon Spikeman asked some 50 years ago, I want to ask again today. When was the last time that you spent an hour wrestling in prayer? Watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. Be an Epaphras-type prayer wrestler. Father God, we come before you this day to thank you for opportunity to gather together as your people to think on your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would stir in our hearts in such a way that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord Jesus, help us to heed the words that you gave to your disciples and to us today. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Give us the strength of your Holy Spirit to move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.